Great, thanks so much. Wow, there's been such a richness to what God has said to us this morning, and my prayer is that I just help us take it in and take hold of it, let it go deep into us. So uh, I really just want to continue to speak about the things that God has already begun to speak to us about. So I wonder if you want to turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Paul has, well, he started a church in, uh, uh, I think it's in, in Thessalonica, but not everybody was happy about it. In fact, some people were really, really unhappy about it, and they, they made the, the new believers' lives pretty difficult. And in fact, things got so difficult that in the end, uh, they had to kind of get Paul and uh, his uh, companions out of the city by nightfall. Their, their, their lives was, were in danger, so off they went. And a little bit later, uh, Paul cared so much about them. He wanted to know what was going on, so I think he sent Timothy and got word back. And we're reading a letter that Paul wrote uh, to the Thessalonians. And so I'm just going to read the next extract from that letter. It's in, uh, starting in chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of such conflict, of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from uh, people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and and displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. 
So it's, uh, a, again, a rich passage, lots of things in there, but particularly three things that I wanted to draw out that certainly impacted me as I read it. And the first is, thinking of Paul and his companions, the first is their motivation, why they did what they did. They, they suffered a lot. What was driving them? What was their motivation? The second thing is, what was their message? And the third thing is, what was their manner? What was the way in which they did what they did? So first of all, their motivation. Motivation is so significant, isn't it? When, you, when someone does something for you, I, don't, I mean, <clears throat> maybe you're not, you're not. Sometimes you ask, what is, what is the angle? Why are you doing that for me? What's, what's really going on? Sometimes it's, it's kind of, you ask that question, don't you? Um, what, what, what's in it for you? You don't want to get caught up in someone's hidden agenda and drawn into something and feel obligated. Often think of um, was it the Godfather uh, when he, he, he did uh, a, a favor for, was it the, the Undertaker? And he says, uh, you know, he, he, he said, here's a gift, my gift to you, but um, there may come a time when it's time for me to ask you to do a favor for me. He was doing something for this man, but actually there was a bigger picture that uh, this, uh, the Godfather was, uh, he was drawing this guy into. And later on down the line, he might ask him to do a favor for him. So it's good to ask sometimes, what's in it for you? And we're asking here, I'm asking, what, why did Paul do what he do? What drove him? What was his motivation? Why was, he, why, why was he there? What was his angle? Maybe he was after their money. Because people do a lot of things for money. That's a big motivator. It drives people in terms of what they do to get money. But Paul says, no, it wasn't greed. In fact, he, he can prove it. He, he worked day and night. He worked hard such that he didn't need to ask for their money. He wasn't there for their money. He didn't want to be a burden for them. He didn't want them to misunderstand his motive. He, he did that in other places as well, in, in Corinth. He, he worked hard, such that he didn't, didn't need to ask for their money. Perhaps so that he was after status. Perhaps he wanted to look good. Perhaps he wanted their applause and for them to think well of him. And often this can be a big motivator. We want, we want to feel valued and we crave other people's affirmation of us, the, the crowd kind of cheering us. Maybe that was a little bit behind Paul's motivation. Perhaps he was seeking to be, uh, to be valued, to, to feel special, to be made to feel important, wanted and loved. And as I was kind of looking into this, I found a, a quote which um, kind of helped me think about the situation, the historical situation that they were in right, right then. And um, it says this, says the praise to which Paul refers is the honor, prestige, or fame that so many rhetoricians and sophists sought in those days before Hollywood. So these people came into a city and they, um, they were great orators and they spoke and they were the philosophers and the teachers of their time. And, and you may not think of your you know, teacher, teacher in these kind of terms or someone kind of in the street calling out. You might not think of them. In, in those days, that was the, the Hollywood stars. He says the orators were akin to rock music legends or Hollywood stars in ancient society. And so was Paul coming in that fashion to, to declare something, to appear wise, to say some kind of um, moving things in order that people would gather to him and applaud him and follow him? And was he demanding kind of green M&Ms in his dressing room before he went out into the streets and, um, and uh, declared this, uh, what he wanted to say? But in fact, no. 
It's uh, none of those things. He says, we did not seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. They would, they, he said, I could have done. I could have done. Being, being called by God. I mean, Jesus appeared to him. Jesus sent him out. He, he, he was on a really special mission. He had given, given great responsibility. He could have drawn on that in some ways, perhaps played on that for people to treat him differently than they might treat other people, to think more highly of him than other people. But he said, no, I didn't, didn't want to draw on that because I, I didn't want you to think that was my motive. That's not my motive. Or maybe he was, he was after something immoral. And here, perhaps sadly of all, people can use even a good message or they can use their talents and their gifts or their, their oratory to, uh, to exert such control on people that they can feed their own immoral desires. And sadly, that happens, doesn't it, from time to time. And we, we see it and we... We hear about these things. But no, Paul practiced what he preaches. He says, you know how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. He wasn't there trying to kind of gratify his own sinful desires through some kind of position of power or or prestige. That's not what was going on. Money, status, immorality, these have motivated people for centuries before Paul and after Paul. But uh, con artists and abusers have used flattery and force to try and manipulate people and Paul knew that and the Thessalonians they were aware of that and their antennae were up and so Paul was at great pains to come among them and make sure they didn't they didn't think that he was doing any of those things because he was motivated by something else his message to them was too too important for them to mistakenly think that he'd come for any of those base reasons but if it wasn't greed or status or, or immorality, what was it? What motivated Paul? What drove him from city to city, experiencing hardship and difficulty? What was his primary foundational motivation? Well, we can read it here. It's to please God. His motivation was to please God. That's what he lived for. That's what he loved to do. That's what colored everything that he did, to please God. And because of that, actually, he was willing to lose money. He was willing to be mistreated, quite apart from being treated well. He was mistreated. He was prepared to be mistreated because his desire was to please God. And he was able to say no to the short-term pleasure of immorality because he'd found a greater pleasure. He wanted to please God. He wanted to live in such a way that delighted God. And so the questions that I begin to ask are, why would someone want to do that? And, and how would you do that? What would delight God? Why would someone want to live to please God like Paul, enduring all that he did? And what is it to live to please God? And the, really the answer to both those questions is in Paul's message. So his, his motivation was to please God. What was his message? What was the message that he had that he proclaimed uh, when he went amongst them? Well, it was the good news of God. Again, we're told in this passage, he came with the good news, the gospel of God. His message was the gospel of God, the good news of God, the good news from God, the good news about God. This was the the content of his message. Really, one of the ways you could express it, I think of it as the, the gospel is God's heart for your heart. God's heart for your heart. God delights that he should have your heart. The the gospel, the good news of God, the message about God, the message from God is his heart for you, is his heart for me. God's heart for your heart. 
But I want to just be a little bit more uh, specific and uh, just going to open up uh, Romans, the first kind of few verses of Romans, because here we read kind of a rich description of this gospel of God. So perhaps you want to turn with me to Romans, and we're just going to go through a few of these verses here to remind ourselves, and maybe for you for the first time, to hear something about what this gospel of God is, what this good news of God is. Paul writing to the Romans, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And there it is, the gospel of God. He's about to unpack what this gospel of God is. He goes on, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This gospel of God is the overarching theme of history. This is why everything exists. It's that this narrative, this story should play out, this message from God about God, which is promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And it goes on, concerning his son, this gospel is about Jesus. It's focused in about Jesus. It's all about Jesus and what he has done. This gospel promised beforehand about Jesus going on, who was descended from David according to the flesh. This is the son of God, second person of the Trinity, the son of God being born as a man, coming into our world, taking on flesh, living in our place, the life that we should have lived. Going on now in verse 4, he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. This Son of God, Jesus, got in the flesh. He lived in our place and then he died in our place. He took on our sin upon himself, our wrongdoing, our rebellion against God and he owned it. He said, I'm, I'm going to take it, the sin of the world, on me and I will take the consequences on that, on the cross, nailed there, crucified by the Romans. There he was, taking your sin, taking my sin. And he died because the wages of sin is death. The consequences of doing wrong, the consequences of turning away from God, the source of life, is death. And so he experienced not just death of the body, though he died, he went into the grave, but separation from God. He experienced that. But praise God, he rose again from the dead. He was declared to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Everything he said was right. Everything he said was true. He really did die for our sins. And he rose from the dead, a testimony to that. He rose from the dead, victorious over sin and death. And we go on in verse 4, the second part of verse 4. Jesus Christ, our Lord, this Son of God, this Jesus, God in the flesh. He was Jesus, our Lord, risen to life so that we could follow him. This is what life is. It's, it's being with God. It's following him. It's walking in his ways. It's loving him. It's receiving his love. Go on to verse 5 now. Through whom we have received grace. Remember, we're unpacking this message of God, this gospel of God, and it's about the grace of God. It's not about what we do for him primarily. It's not about us doing certain things. That's not this message. You need to do X, Y, and Z. You need to work a bit harder, try a bit harder, pull your socks up. That's not why this message is so glorious. That's not why Paul was so excited about it and so wanted to tell people about it. Now, this is a message of grace. It's what God has done for us in the person of Jesus, giving his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's just giving. It's God giving. This is what this message is all about, what God has freely done for us. We're going on now, second half of verse 5. It says, grace and apostleship, apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith 
So this gospel of God, this message of God, is not about outward conformance. God's just not, he's not interested in just the way we behave and the things that we do. It's interested in something far deeper than that, far more important than that. What he really cares about, what he really cares about is our hearts. It's why Paul talks about it. He tests our hearts. He wants this obedience that comes from faith, a heart attitude that says, I, I love you. I see who you are, and in the light of that and what you've done for me, we love the Lord. We love God with all our heart and soul and strength and might, and our behavior flows from that. When God has our heart, our behavior flows from that, and God delights to have our heart, doesn't he? He looked at David, you know, King David. He's a man after God's heart. He knew, he knew he had David's heart. That's what God delights in. That's what God delights, that he has our heart. The gospel message is God's heart for your heart. For my heart. So Paul, as I say, talks about here about testing the hearts. He's interested in our motivation. We started talking about motivation. He's, God is interested in what motivates you, what motivates me. Imagine if your family and friends, those that kind of, well, those, imagine if they were really, really nice to you. They really, you know, they, they really got your coffee in the morning, whatever it is, or they, um, I don't know, they, they did lots of good things for you, lots of, lots of nice things for you. And then imagine you discovered they were doing it because they wanted to get money from you. That changes everything, doesn't it? That's a horrible thing. They, they, these people, they spent all their, all, the, all their kind of last few years and they were being nice to you and they were kind of speaking well of you and they were helping you and they were, it turns out, because they wanted money from you. That's, that's, it's a horrid thing. God wants your heart. He's not interested in just doing things out of religious obedience or, or out of fear, or out of I ought to do that, and if I can please God, I can get something else in return. It's not what he's interested in. He wants your heart. He, he wants you to know how much he loves you. And when we know how much he loves us, we love him in return. And Paul knew this. It's what motivated him. And it's what he wanted everybody else to know. God's heart for your heart. God tests the heart because that's what he wants. He doesn't just test actions. Actions, they demonstrate a heart, yes, but they, they're not what God wants. So he tests the heart. He wants your heart. We're created to love God and to be loved by God, but we rejected God and we went after money and status and immorality. We went after these things and God breaks God's heart when he sees us running after these things. And so he sends this message and he sends messengers. Get people back. I want their hearts back. Let's go on. Verse 5 uh, for, 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 the, for the sake of his name. It's, it, it is about us, and he, he wants us to know his goodness to us. But it's ultimately about revealing how good God is and how gracious God is. God's concerned primarily and ultimately for his glory, that his glory should cover the earth. And it's just wonderful that we're caught up in that, that God is most glorified when, when we know how much he loves us, when we receive his love and delight in him in return. That's when God is most glorified. When, when we say, thank you, Lord, for, for sending your son to die for me. I, was, I turned away. I, I deserved separation from you. And now I, I inherit so much in you. God is glorified in that. But this is his primary motivation, that God would express and share his glory. 
So this gospel of God, this, it's, a, it's for his name's sake. I'm going on, just kind of getting to the end of it now. In, uh, in the end of the first, verse 5, among the nations. And this gospel is for the nations. It's got a heart for the nations, not just kind of one small group of people in one particular place. Jesus sent his disciples to the nations. Go to the ends of the earth. Fill the ends of the earth with the glory of God in people that have been won by the blood of Jesus, have been bought by the blood of Jesus and come into this relationship with God for which they were created, for which they forfeited and for which God paid such a price in the giving of his son. Among all the nations, God wants to bring people to salvation. And then he finishes off in verse 6, including you, including you, including me, including you, including me, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The good news of God is that we're richest, rich beyond our wildest dreams, not in, not in digits in a bank account, but inheriting the whole earth, the renewed earth, coerced with Christ. The wonder of the gospel is that we're, our status is it's mind-blowing. Children of God, drawn into God's family. We can say no to the fleeting pleasures of immorality because we have found the greatest pleasure of all. In God's love for us and in delighting in him. What desires, what pleases God is that, that we would know his love for us. And that's what drove Paul. And finally, I'm just going to touch briefly on the manner in which Paul communicated this message. The manner in which he communicated this message. Their motivation was to please God. Their message was the gospel of God. And their manner was the family of God. And I hope you picked up this morning just all the words that what God's been speaking to us, the manner of God. First of all, he says in verse 7 and 8, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. And think of the closeness and the affection between a mother and the child that she is nursing. This is how God feels about you. It's how God felt about, this is how Paul felt about the people in Thessalonia. This is, this is how God feels about you. That close connection and relationship. I'm running out of time, but I would go to Isaiah 49 uh, if I had time. Can, can a mother forget the child nursing at her breast? Well, sadly, sometimes that does happen. But God will never forget you. He'll never forget me. He'll never forget his people. It's a wonderful picture of intimacy and, and closeness between God and his people. Then he goes on talking about a father. For you know, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Those words exhorted, encouraged, and charged, they're kind of they're overlapping, but there's a, we can draw out something of a nuance in each one of them. Paul, he, exhor he, he, he exhorted them with the gospel like a father. He said, come on, let's go together. He exhorted them into the good things that were ahead. Let's go, we can do it. Let's, let's press forward into all those things that God has for us. As a father does with his family, as Paul did for them, as God does for us through the gospel. He exhorted them through the gospel into the, into the good things that were there for them. He encouraged them. And this word encourage perhaps is a nuance of, of, of lifting someone up. When our heads go down sometimes, when we fall sometimes, there's, when we encourage each other, we come alongside and we, we help someone go again. We help someone believe again. And so Paul encouraged them with the gospel. God encourages us through the gospel and we gently and carefully and lovingly encourage one another through the gospel and help one another to get up, to go again, to believe God again 
in his goodness and his love for us in Jesus. And finally, he charged them. And this is a much more solemn word, indicating the great importance of the task. Something of authority that a father has to say, this is the way that we will go in our family. And Paul, he charged them, this is the way that we will go. We will live according to the good news of God that has come to us in Jesus and God charges us with the, with the gospel to live in accordance to, of, of what he has done for us in Jesus. And we can charge one another. Well, time has gone, so I'm going to invite the band to, uh, just to come up again and uh, lead us in worship in just, just a moment. But I want to close in, in our time here in, in prayer. Why don't you stand uh, with me right now? Paul had he'd heard something He'd heard this message, and it changed everything for him. It changed his motivation. God loves me that much. That is who God really is. Wow. I want to spend the rest of my life pleasing him. I want to turn away from these other lesser motivations. And I, you know, I'm, I'm willing to, to endure hardship and difficulty and setback that I would please God. And what pleases God most of all, what pleases our Heavenly Father most of all, is that we would know how much he loves us and that other people would know how much he loves us in the person of his son. So, Father, I want to thank you that you don't just look on the outside, you just don't want slavish obedience, but you look to our heart. I thank you that your gospel, the gospel of God, is your heart for our heart. Lord, I thank you that each and every person here, you want their heart, you want our heart. Each and every person in this city, Lord, you, are, you want their heart, you want them to know how much you love them. And you want their love to be rightly placed in you. And Father, we pray, would you help us know even more, as you've been encouraging us today, that you're like a father, like a a nursing mother, of these wonderful, intimate family terms that you you use. Father, I pray we'd know how much that you love us. And I pray we'd we'd be motivated, not just to love you in return, but to to love one another and to love those around us with such, such a wonderful, wonderful love, which is from you. Empower us, motivate us by your love to share this message. And I pray that over the coming weeks and months and years, that many, many more people in this city and beyond would come to know your love for them and love you in return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't God wonderful? Isn't our God wonderful? Lord, we love you. We love you. We love you. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we say you have our hearts. Holy Spirit, come amongst us now as we open our hearts to you, express our love and our devotion to you. Lord Jesus, Father, we love you. Let's worship him, shall we, together.